All right. Our scripture reading this morning, as I said, is a continuation in our study in the Gospel of Luke. And so it comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 56. And I don't often do this, but if you are somebody who has a Bible nearby you that you can read, I invite you to pick it up because this scripture is just uncomfortable enough that you may need to have it in front of you for the next 10 or 20 minutes. So here is what this gospel says, and I'm going to give you one more moment. I heard a shout for a hold on. So find that Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 56. Page 65 in your pew Bible. And here's what it says. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Friends, let's pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts as we endeavor to dig into this gospel reading be acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is a time in society and culture in which it is really hard not to find a space that is characterized by division and divisiveness. We see it in the media, we see it in the political climate, we see it at the Thanksgiving or holiday tables with family, we see it in lawn signs, in our towns and neighborhoods, everywhere we look we see these signs of division. And into this division, of our present day lives, that's where this gospel reading meets us today, from the Gospel of Luke, which we've been focusing on in worship for several weeks. In this gospel, we're hearing these words spoken from Jesus that can feel at first glance like even more division. And so the Revised Common Lectionary, which for those of you who don't know those words, that is a series of readings from scripture that rotate over the course of three years. And many churches all over the world, they follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and I mostly follow the Revised Common Lectionary. So you might notice that if you talk to your cousin in Indiana or your friend in Washington, what they read in church on any given Sunday is very likely what you've also read in church that Sunday. And so, into the divisiveness of our present day lives, the Revised Common Lectionary serves up this text. This text that can really challenge some of our notions of who Jesus is, because this is not really a text in which he's comforting softly. 
This is a text in which he's challenging it passionately. This is not a text that speaks to a gentleness of faith. It's a text that calls forth a reality of what it means to follow the gospel. That in doing so, we will encounter division. This text, perhaps more than most, it sends an anxious feeling through a lot of people who read it. Through a lot of people who might be a little bit conflict avoidant or a bit division focused, phobic, this is a text that can really be uncomfortable. And so I invite you to just sit with that uncomfortable feelings about how Jesus speaks in this text, and we will unpack it a little bit more. So this scripture, much like the last two weeks, has three main parts, and in the first part, we're going to hear these words. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. So on the face of it, Jesus is naming that his presence and ministry is one that brings division. And as we read these words, we may even start to think and read into this, that the division is what's intended. And in some ways it is, because I want you to think about the other parts of scripture where we read about division. We have sheep and goats, wheat and chaff. Division is not a foreign concept in our scriptures. But the key is not that Christ is coming to bring division for division's sake alone. And that's really where the key is in this first section. He's not calling for senseless division. Rather, he's just naming a truth. Naming the truth that his presence and his ministry, one of radical love, is in and of itself a divisive notion. Christ is naming the truth that when he comes to earth, that his purpose is one that can divide. That when we pledge allegiance to the ways of the gospel, we will no doubt be divided from those who pledge allegiance to the whims of ego or the ways of this world or the pleasures of living for self rather than service. So the first part of this morning's scripture is essentially this very short summary of Jesus' ministry and the eventual close of his earthly ministry. And there's this biblical commentator, Eric Thompson, who writes this, that in this first section... It speaks to a fire of cleansing judgment that spreads the good news and the baptism of Christ's death in order to conquer death. And this language, fire, can be really problematic for a lot of folks. It's often associated with a harsh judgment, a fear, and perhaps with some theologies or traditions that we once followed in our lives but might not anymore resonate with. But what Thompson so acutely articulates is that the fire of judgment is perhaps about our own inability to save ourselves. The cleansing fire is a revelation of our interconnectedness and need for God. And that rings true to me. That fire can reveal so much to us. It's primal. It's connected with our roots in humanity. Have you ever sat around a fire in a yard or a campsite or in front of a fire in your home and just gained clarity? Do we not light these candles up here in the front of the sanctuary as these little fire reminders of Christ? Have you not burned an item at some point in order to be set free? Fire as an element, as imagery, it matters to us collectively. It's clarifying and it's cleansing 
that's what this is getting at. Fire, in this case, was meant to destroy this religiosity that people were using as a way of guaranteeing their salvation, and yet which actually distanced them further from God. So Jesus speaks of bringing this fire that is palpable and passionate. It's a fire that cannot be controlled. It can't be confined. It can't be boxed into any rituals of those days or of these days. Jesus is bringing this clarifying and cleansing fire that is all-consuming, consuming of all our sense of our own ability to work out our salvation ourselves. Fire. And I'll take our human need for certainty into the fire, cleansing it. Fire. Fire that takes our institutions that we anxiously build in order to give us a sense of control, and it cleanses that. Because Jesus is not talking about a destructive fire here, but a cleansing and clarifying and discerning fire. A fire that reveals what is. And what is, is that we are God's beloved and that we belong to God. It's a fire that reveals that. So for Jesus, fire has to do with his baptism. And you all know this phrase, baptism by fire. And it's intense. It means being thrown in. It means passion and all-consuming. And baptisms in these words from Christ, it's not a rote ritual of white gowns and simple vows. Baptism in this scripture is very bold and raw. For us in America in 2019, baptism does not often carry much risk to our bodies, but for Jesus, baptism led eventually to death on a cross. And so fire seems appropriately passionate in this scripture. Appropriately intense. Thompson, he says this, For many, baptism is the entry into the life of the church. Part of life as God's chosen is vocation, God's calling to us. This means that Christ's baptism and his ministry and his death on the cross prefigures our own baptism and provides a bridge to the next section of the scripture about division. And if we unpack that a little bit, it is this astute naming that when we read this text, text, it asks us to remember that our baptisms are a beginning and not an end. Baptism does not mark a finality in a Christian journey, but is rather a consent to begin it, knowing that there are joys and sorrows that will unfold in it. And now the next part of the scripture. The next part is essentially some commentary on the effects that the gospel may have on those who follow Christ. And this is where it can get really, really uncomfortable. And it says this. From now on, five and one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. And this is where it breaks down how every single relationship and dynamic may become divided. So in this section, Jesus is letting his followers know that to follow him is not easy. It's not always an easy endeavor. Because the gospel and its implications for living is not always met with open arms and hearts and minds. It doesn't always bring peace. Given our context in America, Christianity itself is not often something that tears families apart, but the brand of Christianity sure is. So often when we profess a Christian faith that is open to all people, that is open to theological diversity, that is open to people bringing their minds and their hearts, 
that can be met with serious resistance. There can absolutely be disagreement in families as to the nature of what it means to be called into this journey of following Jesus. What church do you attend? How literal do you find each and every word of scripture? What are the ways in which you live out that scripture? All of it. All of it can lead to division even among those Christian sections of your family. And Jesus names that right here. It is like he is peering into that Thanksgiving dinner where you had that uncomfortable exchange. He is letting you know that you are not alone in that sense of division even amongst family. And yet, this is not really a call to get up in arms at the dinner table right away without compassionate and open listening. It is, again, not a call for division, for division's sake alone. This is Jesus just naming reality. When we passionately commit our lives to following someone who asks us to be boldly compassionate, radically loving, generously serving people, that will in and of itself cause division. Because not all people are interested in following in these ways. Even those that do profess a Christian faith may very likely do so with a more restrictive theology or orthodoxy that does not necessarily match your own. Division occurs. It's a truth that we experience in life and as Christians. And in this portion of scripture, Jesus names it. And here's the thing, friends. We aren't always called to fight our family and those closest to us on the nuances of what it means to follow Jesus in any given moment. Because it's not a scripture that calls us to verbal or intense conflict necessarily. Sometimes when we find ourselves divided, the best thing to do is pray. Sometimes the best thing to do is to get space. Sometimes the best thing to do is to walk away. I remember this one holiday sitting at a dining room table with a close family friend who began to enter into a racist tirade. And it was clear that in that moment, Confronting him was not going to have any positive effect on him. And I felt my own very Irish temper rising. And I prayed a small prayer quietly in my head. And then I told him that I didn't agree with him. And I just left the table. And later he apologized. And years and years and years later, he was open to hearing more and open to change. And there have been plenty of times when I've not been so in tune with what I was supposed to do in that moment, times when I've fought back regarding injustices and, and the isms of life in the moment, and sometimes that's the right response and sometimes it's not. But here's the point. Divisions are not always solved with warfare. They are very often better addressed with simple, nonviolent action that shows that when we follow Jesus, we choose a different path. Praying, vocalizing disagreement, walking away, but recognizing the division and addressing it in some way. And in the final part of this scripture, this is where he's saying to the, to the crowds the following. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and so it happens. And then he speaks of the south wind blowing, and then Jesus says this. You hypocrites. 
You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So in this final part of today's scripture, we read Jesus giving this warning about our willingness to hear and see only what we want to. And for this, I have a very, very solid story about selective hearing. I have three dogs, and the middle dog is named Jackson, and he's this little tan, compact hound and pit bull mix who just wiggles nonstop. And Lissa, who's over here, who's my best neighbor ever, she can attest to the fact that while the other two are a little bit more standoffish, Jackson likes to jump up and sit on the wall in the back of the parsonage yard and peer through the fence anytime that there's anybody in Lissa's yard. If there's yard work happening, if there's a pool party happening, he is just staring in between the fence posts. He's a friendly little guy who just wants to be in on the action, wagging his tail nonstop, and he's great. But sometimes, when I'm introducing people to my three dogs, I say that Jackson is a little bit more of a roommate than my obedient dog. And while the other two snap to attention, Jackson takes each command from a human as a suggestion to be considered. And he may or may not spend that much time considering it, and it may or may not be followed. He is the epitome of selective hearing. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. In this final morning of this morning, in this final section of this morning scripture, Jesus is talking about followers who know very often what God is asking us to do or say or risk for, and yet people are kind of like Jackson well-meaning, but really very selective in our absorbing God's will and willingness to follow it. So in this final section of this morning's scripture, we get at this age-old battle of control. Do we have it? Does God have it? Is it a little bit of each? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he addresses our inability to realize what's really happening. And the accusations of hypocrisy It's this interesting word choice here because the idea of a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another thing. But Jesus is perhaps more talking about people who see what's happening and read the signs and yet they're just kind of continuing to fumble around. So it's a piece that's a bit of an interesting part that you can think about how it works its way into your life. Maybe the hypocrite is one that believes that Jesus brings grace and yet they continue to work to achieve it on their own accord. Or maybe the hypocrite is one who thinks that they have the one right way or belief or truth about ourselves and God and the world. Or maybe the hypocrite in this case is one that thinks that they have all the answers and everything figured out, but they keep on using human actions to guarantee God's presence, kind of thinking that God works for us. And that's an important challenge to us as churchgoers today. It's an important word, hypocrisy, that we should check in on from time to time. Are we allowing ourselves to hear God's call again anew over and over again? Or do we rest comfortably, too comfortably, in our own understanding? Do we ignore injustices? Do we fail to name the atrocities of our world, gun violence, poverty, opioid crisis right across the causeway? And more? Do we pray but not turn those prayers into actions? It's important to allow ourselves from time to time to sit with this word from Jesus, hypocrisy. 
to check in for the sake not of condemning our ways as a means instead of moving more closely into alignment with God. So friends, this morning's text is one that progressive Christian churches everywhere skillfully avoid. But it's worth reading. It's worth sitting with. It's a text that at first glance can be one of the ones that we do want to avoid, that we hope to skip over, that we can tend to give less credence to in our own faith journeys. We might say, we like this Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus, but not really that Jesus. But if you sit with it long enough, it's a message of hope. Because when we name the realities that come from people who endeavor to live lives of service and love and grace, following Christ, that is so much more hope-giving than pretending that our faith is not one that goes against the very fabric of so much of wider culture. We, church, we live for the we, the us, the beloved community, while many others don't. They might live for the I, the me, the self. We live in this radical notion of abundance, We believe in this God who fed 5,000 people from a few loaves and fishes. And much of the world teaches us scarcity instead. So don't forget this. When you follow Jesus, you are following a different way, a new path, a path of great intentionality. And it's worth it. Because Jesus calls you into this way of living and your beloved community accompanies you in it. And it is 